This morning, I'm talking about, well, I'm, I'm continuing our uh, Galatians uh, series. We're looking at Galatians 5, uh, and the theme is freedom. Now, I don't know about anyone else in here, but I'm a massive movie fan. I love a good movie. Uh, probably spend a little bit too much time on Netflix, if I'm honest. Um, I'm, I'm totally guilty of that one. Uh, but the thing I love about movies is they've all got the same kind, like a good movie. They've all got the same few elements. There's the good guys, there's the bad guys, there's the, the bad guys repressing the good guys, and the good guys fight the good fight, and eventually they win, and they, they gain their freedom, and everything is wonderful. At least those are the kind of movies I, I watch, because I, I'm a sucker for a good kind of formulaic movie. And there is one movie, in my mind at least, uh, that really kind of outstrips them all in terms of that, that kind of storyline, and it is Braveheart. <coughs> I love a bit of Braveheart. Freedom! It's amazing. And Mel Gibson doing a slightly ropey Scottish accent, but we'll forgive him because it's a good film. Um, I don't know if many of you noticed, that if you look at our Freedom logo there, the R in our Freedom logo is, is remarkably similar to the R in Braveheart logo, just saying. So it's, it's, it's ingrained in this church, this film. Sneaky, you didn't know that, but great film. And it's, it's all about this guy called William Wallace. And William Wallace is this little rebel guy, little rebel Scotsman, who unites all the clans who are being persecuted by the English. I know, I know, we, we've, we, we don't have a great history as English, but... So he unites the clans, wins several like really unlikely victories against the English oppressors. Eventually, the king catches him, the English catch him, and they, they torture him. They torture him right at the end of the movie. They, they hang, draw, and quarter him. So they hang him till he's almost dead. Then they drag him through the streets by his feet attached to a horse. And then at the end, they tie him to this table with his arms outstretched. And, and they, essentially, they disembowel him. They cut him right down to his belly button and then across. The whole idea of this was, it was, I know, it's a lot of information. <laughs> but... But the, the idea was, was to publicly torture him and to get him to recant, to get him to say, actually, Scotland belongs to the English, and I was wrong, I was a rebel. And with his dying breath, while they're trying to get him to recant, he leans back, takes it in and goes, freedom! And it's a really powerful moment in the film. And the reason I think it's so powerful, outside of, of the, the narrative of the story, is that it's something that's kind of embedded in us all, isn't it? That, that longing for freedom, that feeling like the way things are isn't the way things should be. Like we were made for more than the oppression we live under. Um, so what we're going to do now is jump into Galatians. Because this is talking about true freedom. Really being freed from, from the oppression that we don't belong under. Okay? So I'm going to read from Galatians 5. We're going to go 5, 1 to 14. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised uh, to every man that lets himself be circumcised, that he is obliged to obey the whole law. So, just in case anyone has forgotten, 
The context of this is that Paul is writing to the Galatian church because a group of, pe- of people have come to them, have come to the church and told them that to be truly saved, yes, they have to believe in Jesus, but they also have to follow all the Jewish laws. And they had a particular thing about people being circumcised. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Harsh words. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's an awful lot to look at there. So I'm going to start right at the beginning in verse 1. Now, just to warn you, I ran through this this morning and by the, end, by the time I'd said everything I wanted to say about verse 1, it'd been half an hour. So, there is a good chance I will not f- finish this whole preach today. Or I may have to skip little bits and pieces. But, I think what I have to say is worth saying. And I can only say that because what I have to say is coming from the Bible. So, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's just focus in on the the Christ has set us free part. What are we free from? We're free from the judgment of the law. You see, we have a God who is 100% holy. Completely pure in his holiness. He's 100% love. He's also 100% judge. So his law is 100% righteous. 100% just. So the only way to satisfy That law is with 100% purity. Is everyone following me so far? I've said 100% quite a lot. So the only way to escape the judgment is 100% purity. But we are fallen. We are sinful in nature. So there is no chance that we can ever satisfy the requirements of the law. We live under guilt and fear, knowing that we cannot ever meet that standard. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are. If you're on a sinking ship, it doesn't matter if you're in the first class or whether you are shoveling coal, you are all sinking into the same water. There is no way we can ever earn our way past the judgment we deserve. Without freedom from judgment, standing on a sinking ship waiting to drown in the icy sea. Cheery. Here's the good news. 
We know it, but I'm going to tell you again. Christ has set us free. How do you say that without a smile on your face? I do not know. Now, there's a guy called John Bunyan who, who managed to sum this up really, really eloquently, really nicely in just a, a short poem. He says, Run and work, the law demands, but gives me neither feet or hands. Far greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. I love that. Run and work, the law demands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. Far greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's been just going round and round and round in my head this week. So good. But as I say, the law is perfect and it demands perfection. And because we are not, we need someone else who can satisfy the law for us. And because the law is only binding on humankind, that person has to be a person. That person has to be a human being. So if you turn with me to Hebrews 2, um, 14 to 15. In fact, I'm going to cheat and read it from my notes. God's got a plan in mind for this. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. A few weeks back, Andy preached on Galatians 4, but it, again, it bears repeating. But when the, time he, the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. Daddy, father. So you no longer you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So in Jesus, God became flesh, fully God, fully man, so that he could satisfy the two requirements of the law. Humanity, perfection. The only thing we can or ever have contributed to our own salvation is the sin that made it necessary. The only thing we've ever contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. We cannot do anything beyond that. So what is this freedom? What does it mean to be free? We know, we know Christ has come and Christ has set us free, but what does that actually look like? It's freedom to love. If I, if I have my computer in front of me and I type in the words, I love you, it pops up on the screen, doesn't it? But it doesn't mean anything because I hit the keys, gave the command, and the computer did what it was supposed to do. That doesn't mean a thing. Whereas if I walk into my kitchen and Beth's there typing away and, and she says, look, Daddy, and it says, I love you, that means an awful lot more. That means an awful lot more. For starters, she's touched, touched my laptop, which is not good. But she's, 
she's, she's actually freely expressing love. She's expressing love. Because acts of love done under duress, acts of love done because they have to, aren't acts of love. They are acts of, of self-preservation and, uh, and just straight up, they, they have to. They have to do it. It's, it. There is no real love without freedom. We're free to obey. So again, if, if I follow the law because I have to, because I'm afraid that I will be punished, I know that I will be guilty in, and I will go to hell and all of that, anything I do is not out of, of a real desire to please God. It is done because I'm afraid. It's because I'm afraid because I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to be punished and I don't want to sit under the, the weight of guilt. So freedom in Christ is freedom to obey, to demonstrate a true desire to please God through our own free choices and not because we don't want to be crushed under the weight of the law. True freedom is freedom by the Spirit. It can only be done. It can only be achieved. We can only walk in the freedom that God has given us by the Spirit. Every single day we have to submit ourselves to God and we have to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come fill me today and, and, and free me, Lord. Show me how to live the way you want me to. Show me how to fulfill, how, to, how you have fulfilled the law for me so that I am free to just be in your presence. There's a few things that love is not, that, sorry, that freedom is not, rather, what freedom is not is it's not freedom to indulge in your favorite sin. In Romans 6, 12 to 15, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. But what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Just because I know God will forgive me does not give me license to abuse that. John MacArthur says, we are freed from sin. The freedom in Christ is to be freed from sin, not free to sin. And it's a really important distinction. It's something that you see throughout, throughout the world. It's also not freedom to ignore the law of God. It does not mean, to be free from the judgment of the law does not mean that we are free from the law. Again, it's a really important distinction. Just because I know God will forgive me does not mean I can go around and, you know, shoot someone in the face. I can't do that. I'm not free from the law. I, but I am free from the, the oppression and slavery to sin that comes with trying to work my way to salvation. True freedom is not a life without borders. 
People think that I'm, I'm only truly free if I can sleep with who I want, say what I want, do what I want. Uh, you know, if I, if I see something I don't like, I can tell people straight, because this is my right, because I am free, I have no boundaries. That's not freedom at all. True freedom is not a life without borders, but a life with borders that, that enhance and allow free movement and growth within its safe boundaries. See, a river without banks does not end up flowing anywhere. A river without banks ends up as either a stagnant puddle or a destructive tide that gets to places it should not be and causes all sorts of problems. Abuse of freedom actually results in loss of freedom. A freedom without borders ends up with someone losing their freedom. You, have to, you only have to look down the road. We've got a prison full of people who have abused their freedom and end up constrained. And the same is true with our freedom in Christ. If we, if we abuse the freedom, if we abuse the grace God has given us, it does not lead anywhere good for us. We are, we are made to live within the boundaries that God has set for us. But what this is talking about is being free from condemnation. So, now that we know what freedom is and that we have been set free, why? Verse 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we've been liberated to enjoy liberty. Great news! We've been freed to be free. Awesome. If, if Ryan, my son, he comes to me and says, Dad, I'm really, really thirsty. I give him a glass of water, and I give him a glass of water so that he can drink it and no longer feel thirsty. It's the same, we, we've been freed so that we can exercise the freedom that Christ has given us. Isn't that great? We were designed before the fall of humanity. Before the fall of humanity, we were designed to live out our identity in the image of Christ. And the fall took us away from that. The fall took us away from that, and in, so God introduced the law. Now, the law was not perfect. It was a way of, of, of kind of keeping us roughly on the straight and narrow, but it was never going to replace our lives in the image of Christ. And so God sent his son to redeem us, to bring us back to where we should be, in freedom. And it's worth noting that even before the fall, there were boundaries in place. Even when we were designed, in, when we were living within God's perfect design, there was boundaries in place. Do not eat from that tree. So, verse 1 goes on to say, Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened with a yoke of slavery. So it says stand firm here, which is an interesting piece of language, because it was actually something that the, the Galatians would have recognized as, as like a military term. Um, stand firm. It was what the soldiers they would have, they'd have been lined up, the enemy would have been charging at them, and they'd have had to kind of brace themselves, stand in, in a straight line, hold the line to repel the attack. So it, it, what it says is it, it kind of implies 
active resistance in the face of attack. And this is true of us as well. We have an enemy. We have Satan who will come against us. But we also have an enemy in our own flesh. We have our own sinful nature that seeks to drag us away from freedom, that seeks to enslave us again in our own sin. We have to be on our guard. This is what Paul is saying here. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. Again, it's worthwhile putting, putting out the, uh, the use of do not let yourselves. But surely, surely everything bad that happens to me is someone else's fault. You know, if, if I fall into sin, it's because someone pressured me or, you know, a, a, my history caught up with me, something like that. It's, it's not my fault. No. Do not let yourselves again be burdened with a yoke of slavery. This is on us. We are responsible for our own spiritual health. Again, going back to the analogy, if, if Ryan comes to me and he says, Dad, I'm really thirsty, and I give him a glass of water, and he chooses not to drink it, why is he letting himself be thirsty? Why is he letting himself sit under the, the discomfort of thirst. In fact, if he continues to do that, he'd be dead by Wednesday. When we sit, when we put ourselves under the law and we don't partake in, in what God has given us, if we don't partake in the freedom that God has given us, then what use is that freedom to us? It's like a miser. So a miser is a, a man who has millions and millions and millions of pounds locked away in his vault because he's got it, but he lives under poverty. This is where so many people find themselves. We have been fantastically liberated by Jesus, and yet we live in spiritual poverty. We live in spiritual thirst. Do not let yourselves be burdened with the yoke of slavery. I mentioned movies before. One of my top, definitely top five movies ever, Shawshank Redemption. Great film. Um, it's about prison. A man gets kind of falsely accused. Anyway, there's a character in it called Brooks. And he's an old guy. And he's, he's lived in jail pretty much his whole life. And he gets granted his freedom. He's served his time. And he gets, he gets released. And uh, the, the problem with Brooks is He's institutionalized. He didn't know how to be free. He didn't know how to be free. In fact, he talks about wanting to reoffend so that he can go back into prison because that's where he's comfortable. You see, he knew what he'd been freed from, but he didn't understand what he'd been freed to. He knew what he'd been freed from, but he didn't know what he'd been freed to. So he just felt this emptiness, and he just straight back to what, what he knew, even though he knew it was terrible. We are not to be like Brooks. We have been set free, not to be conformed to the, the law, but to be transformed into the image of Christ. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We who are free far too easily slip back into our old ways. Paul is warning us to be on our guard against this. If I've been forced into handcuffs, and I've been wearing them for, you know, say I'm a prisoner of war, I've been wearing handcuffs for the last two years. When someone takes them off, do I keep my wrists together? Of course not. As soon as they come off, I'm like, oh, yes, I can move my arms. And this is, this is what we need to do as, as Christians. This is what we need to do. We, we have this wonderful freedom. Let's move in it. But Satan tries to, t- to keep us where we are. He tries to, he gets in and he says, you know what? Yes, Christ has freed you. Great. But, I mean, are you really good enough? Are you really good enough? Are you sure Christ freed you? Did he not just free the nice people? You know, you're, you're a little bit too far gone, aren't you? So you might as well just slip back in to your old ways and not live in the benefit of, of Christ because, you know, that's for the good people. You're the bad people. Which is obviously a load of nonsense. <laughs> it's obviously a load of nonsense. But there's, I've got a story here that I'm, I'm just going to share with you um, that I think illustrates this really well. So it's from a book called Case for Grace by a guy called Lee Strobel. And um, it's a story about, uh, I think it's South Korea. Uh, during the Korean War, there was loads of American troops over there. And this American guy... And a local girl, they had a wonderful night. He disappeared. She became pregnant. Um, fast forward about two years later, there's this young girl with a, a two-year-old child who is mixed race, which back in the time put them right at the bottom of the, the social scale. Uh, absolutely terrible. The mother had no options because she was an unmarried mother with a mixed race child. And the, her family managed to find someone who was, who was prepared to marry her, which was amazing, because that, that just took her from the lowest rung right back into society, and she felt fantastic. The only problem was the child wasn't part of the deal. So she was going to send this, this little girl away, this little girl called Stephanie. Um, so about a year after the deal was done, it was time, time to actually get married. So, so Stephanie was about three years old at this point, and the mum makes her lunch and says, Stephanie, I'm going to put you on this train, and you ride it to the end of the track, and on the other end, your uncle will be waiting for you, and you're going to go and live with him. So this child gets on the train, eats her lunch, travels for, for about three days, and when she gets to the other end, there's no one there to pick her up. This, she was abandoned. This happened quite a lot at the time. And she stood on the platform for about three hours before the t- conductor spotted her and kicked her out. He said, get out of here, thinking she was just a little street kid that had been abandoned. So Stephanie, she, she was kind of, it was in the countryside, so she, what she did was she found a fox burrow to live in. This is, this is a true story, by the way. This is not just an illustration. This is a true story. This actually happened. And she found a fox burrow to live in, and she, she basically survived by stealing from the farmer. 
until the farmer caught her, beat her half to death, and threw her in a well, just waiting for her to drown so that she wasn't the problem anymore. And someone rescued her from that. About two weeks later, that farmer found her again, and he tied her to the, the wheel on a water mill. And just, he tied her so that she would go under the water, come back out, and she was on there for about 20 minutes before someone saved her. At which point, she ran to the city. Fearing for her life, she ran to the city. When she was in the city, she was homeless, and uh, a gang took her in, a gang of, of boys maybe a little bit older than her, but not much older. And it wasn't long before she was being used and abused, and it was horrendous. This poor girl had been abandoned, mistreated. And she was rescued out of that by a Swedish lady who ran an orphanage. And this girl was basically, she was recruited, Stephanie was recruited to, to help run the orphanage and kind of get all the babies ready for when people came to visit. And uh, one day this American couple came in, like three times the height of everyone else she'd ever seen and about three times the size as well. But, uh, and she's like, they must be the richest people in the world. And her job was to prepare all the, the little baby boys that this couple were going to come and look at because they came, deciding they, they, they'd already decided they want, wanted to adopt a boy. And, uh, but God spoke to these people. They were, these, these were an American missionary couple, and God spoke to them and said, actually, this is the girl. This girl is, is who I want you to father. I want you to parent. And so they took Stephanie that day. And as they tried to, as they, they tried to, to show her some love, just before they left, he, he put his hand on her head to stroke her hair. And she was so shocked that anyone would show her any affection, her first instinct was to spit in his face. How many times do we spit in the face of God when he shows us grace? How many times do we say, not today? And yet, it didn't put him off. And they adopted this girl. And, uh, but she didn't realize she'd been adopted. She, it was quite common at the time for, for, for families to take on like bond servants. So she thought she'd been, she'd been hired, basically, as a slave in their house. So they took her home, and they, they showed around the house, and there was a flushing toilet. She was like, great, that's going to be loads of fun to clean that. It's going to be much better than just a hole in the ground. And About a year later, about a year later, Stephanie goes out to play. And she, she sees one of the local girls, and the local girl says, you know what, you smell like cheese. You smell like an American. She's like, yeah, these Americans are really weird. These Americans are so strange. You know, I've, I've been their servant for like a year now, and, uh, and they still haven't really put me to work. And this girl says to Stephanie, don't, don't you realize you're their daughter? And Stephanie went, I'm, I'm their daughter. I'm their, da I'm their daughter. Of course, I'm their daughter. I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm their daughter. And she ran. And she ran back to the house all the way screaming, I'm your daughter. I'm their daughter. But she kicked in the door. And, and, and the mum was there. She said, I'm your daughter. 
And the mum didn't speak a word, didn't speak a word. One of the maids translated for her, and the tears just flowed. I'm your daughter. She was happy, thinking she was a slave. She was happy. She had nice clothes. She had a nice house. She got fed well. She was happy living as a slave because she didn't think she was worthy of being adopted as a child. We are free from slavery. In the, in the same way that she didn't think she was worthy of being a child, this is, this is what happens in our hearts. We become spiritual orphans, and we think, God doesn't love me. I can't be good enough to, to deserve this freedom. But we are. Now, instead of standing guilty in front of a judge, waiting for him to slam his hammer down and say, yep, guilty, death, Instead of that, we stand in front of a God, in front of a Father with his arms open wide, and we get to shout, I am your child. I am your son. I am your daughter. And God says, yes. Yes, you are. And that is the freedom that Christ has set us free for. For freedom, Christ has set us free. A little bit of maths for you this morning. Jesus plus nothing. Is everything. And Jesus plus anything is nothing. We cannot add to the perfection of salvation through Christ. There is nothing we can do. Be free from that lie this morning. There is nothing you can do to earn it. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I'm aware that I am running on. So, verses 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's through the Spirit. It's through the Spirit, and only through the Spirit that we can receive this righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3.17-18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's one one of our key verses as a church. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with veiled faces contemplate The Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. John 16, 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. It is only through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we can access this freedom. The next part of the verse is, for through the Spirit we eagerly await. We don't work, we wait. This is a gift, not a salary. We cannot earn the freedom that comes through Christ. And how do we do that? By faith. We have to actively put our trust in him, pursuing the Holy Spirit every day. We have to not let ourselves fall back. There is a matter of of spiritual discipline here. I've got loads more to go through, so I'm going to have to just jump ahead just a little bit. And this is what it boils down to. This is, this is the essence of what I'm saying this morning. We are firmly free. Free in Christ. By grace. Through the Holy Spirit. Freed from slavery to sonship, from death to life. We are not someone's slave, we are someone's children. And like Stephanie said, I am your child. I'm going to touch briefly on verses 13 and 14 before I finish. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We've kind of covered that. But we are to serve one another humbly in love. Now, we are free to love. We have the obligation to serve one another in that love. Which means daily application. We can't just walk by and ignore that homeless guy. We can't just walk by and see some, someone we know who looks really agitated and just say, someone else will talk to them. There is an obligation on us to serve one another humbly in love. And this is just a natural outworking of our freedom. If we know what it is to be truly free, we know what it is to truly receive grace from God. It is our job as Christians to let that flow from us as well. A life touched by God is a life transformed. And verse 14 says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is just a hallmark of a life in Christ. If you're not seeing that in your life, then you need to get back to the source. You need to get back to Christ by grace, through the Spirit. Run and work, the law demands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. Far greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. 
This is the freedom. Amen.